pick up your phone, call your families, call your loved ones, because you never know what happens tomorrow, what happens this afternoon, what happens this evening. We all didn't know that the, the last phone call that we had with our loved ones were the last phone call. And don't ever let go of your rights. Cherish what you have. Cherish your loved ones. And take advantage of your rights, especially your freedom of expression, because not many of us have that. Welcome to The Shape of Dialogue. Today I'm joined by Uga human rights advocate Johar Elam. Johar's work sheds light on the appalling genocide occurring in Western China. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Johar. It's an amazing honor to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and I'm very excited to speak with you today on this podcast, especially after our film director, David's um, also uh, spoke with you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just released that podcast yesterday. So I spoke to David about his film, All Static and Noise, which you were sort of a superstar in, as as well as your amazing father. So we'll, we'll talk about him as well. Um, but to start, am I right saying there is a genocide occurring in the Uyghur region in Western China. As an oiler myself, I personally don't think there's any other word, any other term than genocide that can better describe what's happening in my homeland. Um, however, yes, I did receive um, many, many questions, many, many arguments from people arguing that is it really right to um, use the uh, label what's happening as genocide. So then let's discuss what is genocide? What does that even mean? What does genocide, this term even mean? What does the genocide actions include? So according to the UN definition, genocide means killing members of the group and second, also causing serious body, bodily or mental harm to members of the group and also um, imposing measures intended to, uh, intended to prevent birth within this group or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. And I don't remember the fifth one, but I remember there were five definitions to, 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 to describe genocide uh, that, that can uh, fall under the genocide action. So let's go by one by one of the things that I just mentioned about killing members of the group. We have learned that many, many Uyghur people in the diaspora have lost their families to where in one of those um, many of those uh, eradication camps were what the Chinese government call a vocation a training school eradication schools and or in prisons many of those oilers in the diaspora can no longer see their family members anymore and they have never heard from their family members anymore because they have lost their lives and also we all have also learned that most of the Uyghur people in the diaspora have at least one to ten family members have been sent to one of those detention facilities. And we all are experiencing different levels of uh, mental destruction because we're all separated from our loved ones. I have not heard from my father since 2017 because no family visits have been allowed. And he was arrested since 2014 and he was sentenced to life life imprisonment and I was just a teenager when I was thrown into this country being separated uh, forcefully by the Chinese government from my family members and I had to go through all that by myself and it, it takes an incredible 
you know, um, strong mentality to be able to go through all these. And many, many Uyghur people just like me could be even younger than me are experiencing similar things. Besides the mental harm, also from the testimonies from camp survivors and family members of current detainees, we have learned that many, many, many Uyghur women have been forced to uh, place IUD in their bodies, which is uh, birth controls. Um, and people who refuse to place those birth uh, control methods would be facing different levels of uh, um, uh, detention uh, sentences, either put in prison, uh, sentenced to a few years, or they would be getting re-educated because they would be considered as extremists or a separatist or or religious, um, um, it could be any any term, and but ha- wanting to become a mother, wanting to have your own children, why would that have to be considered as a crime? And we have learned that since to, uh, in the year of 2019, the birth birth rate of my homeland had dropped 24% for the Uyghur population. And also, we spoke of earlier forcibly transferring children of the group to another group, and we, and also that's happening in my homeland as well. Many Uyghur children, they're separated from their parents because their parents are locked up in a camp or in a prison, and they themselves, the little ones, have to be sent to state-owned orphanages where they can only speak Han Chinese, eat Chinese food, and not have no access to to practice their culture, their religion, and and speak their mother tongue. And I would say what's happening is indeed genocide. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a genocide to me. Who are the Yugas? Oftentimes, when I read articles, um, news articles in the West, people would label us the Chinese Muslims. As a Uyghur, I do not like that because, no, we're not Chinese Muslims. Yes, there are Chinese Muslims, but they're not Uyghurs. There are Chinese people who converted to Islam. They are Chinese Muslims. We are Uyghurs. Well, majority of the Uyghur population are uh, Sunni Muslims. And we are a Turkic-speaking ethnic group living in our homeland, the Uyghur region, which is located west of China. And we have been living there for for hundreds of years, and um, uh, the Uyghur population, um, you know, we we started with Buddhism to shamanism, and later we were um, because of the um, the the businessmen and also the um, uh, the Arab um, 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 the Muslims had came to the Uyghur region through the Silk Road, and it brought Islam to our people, and many many slowly Uyghur people converted to Islam, and. Um, the Uyghur people, we speak different language, which is a, Turk, a different language than the Chinese language, which is a, we call it Uyghur language. Yes, it's called Uyghur, and just like the people's name. And it is a Turkic language, um, 90% similar to the Uzbek language. So it's nothing related to the Chinese language. And we look different because we're Turkic, ethnically Tur- Turks. Um, and also... We eat different meals. We have Uyghur cuisine, which is delicious. You got to try it if you ever have access to it. And once you go Uyghur food, you can never come back. <laughs> it's 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 very hard to not get addicted to it. 
And also we have beautiful, uh, we wear traditional clothing. That is, we have our own traditional patterns for, for our fabrics. And the Uyghur homeland is also known for uh, different types of uh, natural resources, such as gold, uranium, um, uh, natural gas, and also we produce, um, sadly nowadays it's linked to forced labor, but we produce 10% of the world's aluminum, 45% of the world's polysilicon, which is the key material for for solar panels. and. And also the Uyghur region produces 84% of the Chinese cotton, which is 22% of the global cotton output. So yes, the Uyghur region is full of culture, fruitful, um, you know, a variety of, uh, of um, you know, natural resources and beautiful language, beautiful people, kind-hearted people, and now we have we're getting all these um taken away from us and people can no longer live in a normal life anymore and be able to just experience the real oilness anymore because being oiled is considered a crime now why is the ccp the chinese communist party doing this um I have um, seen, I have heard people asking me, okay, why does the Chinese government only do that to the Uyghurs? I, I like to clarify first. The Chinese government has not only targeted Uyghur people. The Chinese government has targeted Tibetans, Tibetan Buddhists, and they have targeted Inner Mongolians, Chinese Christians, and also slowly now they have extended their hands to other ethnic groups in China as well. And if you notice all these groups that I'm mentioning, what, 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 why, what, how does that, what's the difference they hold? Which is they either have different ethnic identity or religion. Uh, they hold a different religion. Well, they do have, they practice a religion. Um, their religion is not the Chinese Communist uh, Party. And that is something that considered very dangerous for the Chinese government. Because if you are not worshipping, not truly believing everything that's happened, everything good that's happening to you is because because of the Chinese government then, and it's, instead it's because of your God or because you're hardworking, then you're not easily controlled, and that means you're dangerous, and that means you will have to be facing certain types of consequences, whether it's being sent to eradication camps, getting indoctrinated, and believing that the Chinese government is starting to convert it to thinking the Chinese government is the reason you are breathing and is the re reason that you supposed to live happily. And um, the Chinese government is also targeting Uyghur people, not only because of our religion and our culture and language differences. The Chinese government is also targeting us, as, as I mentioned earlier, the Uyghur homeland is full of natural resources. Um, our land is home to the belt, uh, to the, to the, um, now the flagship program that the Chinese government is implementing in more than 100 countries, the Belt and Road Initiative program, which is um, linking Uyghur region to hundreds of uh, countries via railroads, shipping lanes, pi uh, shipping pipelines, and um, all, all sorts of uh, ways. And, and that's making the Chinese government, uh, enabling them to easily control not only 
our our homeland, but also many other countries might not be as financially powerful as China. Tell us about your father. My father, Ham Tohti, um, he was an economist. Um, he was a professor at Minzu University in Beijing. He was a very well-loved man, well-respected by his students, by his colleagues. I remember the Chinese government pressured him um, since the 90s because he was always very vocal about, you know, protecting our culture, protecting our religion and protecting our rights, our fundamental rights. And he always raised his voice about being oil should not mean we become a secondary citizen in this country. It should mean that we all enjoy the equal rights, just like Han Chinese, just like other ethnic groups. And and being an Uyghur should not means that we're less than anybody else. And he became an economics professor where he t- taught about um, how to develop the Uyghur region and make it a better place and how to promote. He spent decades working on promoting Han Chinese and Uyghur people's relationships. He spent decades building bridges between the Han Chinese and the Uyghur people. He, in 2006, my father um, set up a blog, a website called UyghurBiz.com. And this website had several languages, uh, including Chinese, Uyghur, and also English as well, because he wanted to provide a platform for people to be able to exchange ideas and communicate. And we all know that in China, social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, and search engine like Google is banned. And people don't have access to true information because all the news outlets are biased. There's only one way of information you can get, which is through CCTV, and which is a state-backed, state-owned media. Anyone who dares to even post anything that is slightly different from what the CCTV is spreading the information that they're spreading is considered a crime are considered as spreading rumors and are wrong and could be subjected to different types of prison terms and my father wanted to pro- provide a safe haven for people safe harbor for people to freely exchange their ideas for that platform to exist he paid his price he was sentenced to life for, uh, for creating that platform for people, for, for providing that platform for people to freely exchange ideas, for him to let people know what's really happening in our homeland and who the Uyghurs really are. Because the Uyghur homeland is very far away. It's in, far away from mainland China and it's it's connected to all the uh, Central Asian countries. And a lot of the Han Chinese people don't really know who the Uyghurs are, but what their impression of Uyghurs are usually from the state-backed uh, media propaganda is often saying, all oh, Uyghur people are all uh, nomadic people who are not educated and they just carry a knife around and start stabbing people. They're thieves. They don't, they're lazy. They don't study hard. They're mean. They're angry people. And when they see Uyghurs, that's how, what they come to their mind because that's what you, that's what they're teaching you at school. That's what they're teaching you on the news. I grew up thinking my people was backwards because I was born and raised in Beijing, which is the capital of China. And I had, uh, I only knew very small numbers of Uyghurs growing up. And, and because of the education that I received, I thought, oh, 
so sad. My people are so backwards and are like that. But whenever I went back to my homeland during the summer to visit my grandma, we always get confused. Like, no, those people are just as intelligent as my people are just as intelligent as the people that are that are my classmates, that are my teachers, that are my father's colleagues. They're just as beautiful and kind-hearted and peaceful, just like those people, just like everyone else. Why am I learning these at school? Oh, because I only had one source of information. But people who try to have multiple, to bring multiple source of information to people like me are not paying their price. Tell us about the forced labor camps. So up to 2019, I was always only advocating for my father's release. But starting from 2019, I have learned more and more about the re-education camps, the concentration camps, and the forced labor facilities. Then I knew it was the time that I need to speak up for my people as well. And I started to educate myself. Um, to, in, a few years ago, um, I joined the organization Worker Rights Consortium, where I learned, um, you know, about the the company's complicity in Uyghur forced labor. And uh, Worker Rights Consortium, it's um, uh, the steering committee member of a coalition, which is called Coalition to End Uyghur Forced Labor, that are endorsed by over 400 groups around the world in 44 countries. And our goal for the coalition is to dedicate it to end Uyghur forced labor because this is this is not only about Uyghurs anymore. This is about every consumer, every single person in this world. Why? Because earlier in the earlier of the podcast, I mentioned about the natural resources and I mentioned 10% of the aluminum, global aluminum is produced in my homeland. 45% of the polysilicon, which is the key material for uh, for producing solar panel is made in the river region. 45% of the world. That's an insane amount of number. And 22% of the cotton, which is a key material for garment. The piece of clothing that we're wearing. And oftentimes we look for a cotton because it's comfortable. It's nice. And it's 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 um, what, uh, uh, what is considered as a nice fabric. And not only those, any um, industry... Um, there are items that are produced in the Uyghur region. And in the, in my homeland, it's reported that there are over 1.8 million people have been put through eradication camp, have been put through, uh, you know, uh, Chinese government's um, uh, so-called vocational training schools. And the Chinese government had released its own white paper in 2020, claiming that it's their own white paper, I'm saying. not uh, It's from their state uh, council saying that Annually, there are 1.29 million people in the Uyghur region are going through mandatory vocational trainings. So according to the Chinese government, we only have about 12 million population for the Uyghurs. And imagine that's over 10% of the population. If, that's, if that information is even correct, if that data is even accurate, over 10% of the population is going through vocational trainings. And how does that not? sound abnormal to anyone how does it sound sane to anyone if 10 percent of your population is forced to stay in a closed gate school with barbed um, uh, towers and uh, um, wired uh, walls and we uh, weaponized um, guards 
and cameras. Well, it, it, it's a it's a prison. It is a prison. Yeah, it, yes, yeah. it is a prison. And and for people, when when we uh, with the coalition's work and with the uh, worker rights consortium's work, we were able to um, uh, when we do investigation work. That's the that's a core mission for us to investigate and to protect uh, worker rights and to to. Uh, expose, you know, labor rights violations around the world. That's what we do. We operate in over 24 countries. And this, and the Uyghur region is one of the issues that we work on as well. And then we, we were able to speak with, you know, former, former detainees, uh, former so-called workers. <laughs> Oftentimes when we, we, when we say someone is worker, they are getting paid. They chose that job, but no, I call them detainees because it's not, they didn't, it, they weren't working there. So, so just 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 to clarify, these these people are, are placed in prisons, and then they have to work. No, no, get, no, 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 no. That's different. So prisons yeah. are prisons. Forced yes. labor facilities are forced labor facilities. But, yes, but the, but that they are they they are they are essentially at a prison with a factory. In yes, it. yes. yes. The, it's like a factory. It's like a prison like factories. However. I don't want to. I don't want to take away the attention from people who were locked up in actual prisons and received sentences. That's why I tried to clarify it to make it separate, even though those forced labor facilities are prison-like as well. But they do not receive a sentence. They don't receive a trial. They don't go through a trial. They don't have an arrest arrest letter warrant saying that they were accused for blah 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 certain reason. That's why they're in there. But oftentimes in those detention facilities, for forced labor detention facilities, they get sent because they're they're either called rural surplus workers, which they consider you have there were you were jobless, so you need to be trained at specific skills to help you to become a better member of the society. That's um, according to the Chinese government. That that's a excuse they use to help you to alleviate uh, to. It's for poverty alleviation purposes to help you become a better human being. So we train you for a skills that you need, even though you could be a medical doctor in the past, or you could be, um, uh, you know, a makeup artist, or you could be a fruit seller on the streets, or you could be a farmer, or you could be anything. But no, no, that doesn't count because that's not the job that the government chose for you. Therefore, you are rural surplus workers. So the language is Orwellian, straight out of 1984. But to be clear, when we say forced labor, really we're, we're talking about slavery, aren't we? Yes, because these workers, when we, when we, do in the inter, when we did the interview uh, uh, with the former detainees, we've learned that oftentimes the, their work hours varies between 12 hours to 16, some, in some cases even 18 hours without getting food without showering for one month, without water for weeks, um, for two weeks, um, until they barely ha- until they barely can, can walk and survive, then they would get fed even not even clear water, but milky water. And oftentimes they get fed unknown medicine, which stopped the woman from uh, menstruating. And, and later they found out they can no longer get pregnant. But... Yes, some of them were able to reverse it after getting medical attention in the U.S. But for those who were not able to get, uh, you know, timely medical attention in 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 uh, those detention facilities, those women can no longer choose 
can no longer choose to become a parent again. Um, and, and I mean, it's depends on everybody. It's personal choice whether they want to become a mother or not. But that choice should not be taken away from individuals. And especially should not be taken away from a government. And especially not taken away for a so-called poverty alleviation purposes. And the Chinese government even spread propaganda on their own social media saying that, oh, Uyghur women are no longer baby-making machines. But, but they are making Uyghurs sounding like that we were meant for making babies in the past. But no, it should be personal choice whether we want to become a mother or not. It should not be up to you or she or he to decide. No, it's up to myself. So I think that's, it's incredible disheartening when I learned when, when we were doing these interviews, that the treatments, the conditions that those so-called workers were in, it's insane. It's inhumane. And I also uh, published a book um, uh, earlier last year where I uh, put in the, the testimony of a camp survivor that I interviewed. And for people who are interested in it, feel free to look it up to in the page 94 where you... I also interviewed in Uyghur language, and I also put the Uyghur text in the book as well. I, it has the English, English translation, but I thought it was very important to put the Uyghur language on it. Because nothing, when you are saying what you're truly fe feeling, nothing can translate well as your mother tongue. And I want her to be able to have the opportunity to use her mother tongue to describe. Unfortunately, she had to go through such unimaginable experience and this um camp survivor i really hate calling her that um her name is mihrigul Chusun. i'm gonna call her mihrigul here um mihrigul lost one of her triplets when she was detained um for nine months in one of those detention facilities her triplet her triplet was triplets were only a few months old and one of her triplets were killed by the government, and she they, they, they were taken away from her. They were they? taken away so, from so her. So when when she was detained, yes, her, her triplets, which were as you said, just babies, yes, were removed from her, yes, and then they applied operations on one of the babies, and um, and the baby didn't survive. We interviewed her for the film as well. We interviewed many, many, many Uyghurs who have experienced similar or worse treatments. And unfortunately, the film can only be 19 minutes long. And I wish it could be 9,000 hours so we could document, we could put in all these, all these disheartening stories. And people can no longer just they won't have to only read it on the news and they can actually put faces and voices and images and into those and they're no longer just numbers anymore because they're all individual human beings just like you just like who i'm in my office now whoever is sitting in in the office across me right now just like everybody we all we were born from parents we all had a mother we all had a father we all have friends or a teacher or a colleague or someone who mattered to us. 
and yeah, yeah those people. Yeah, it's it's extreme. I mean, I've studied totalitarian regimes, um, you know, particularly the the Nazis and the the, the Soviets, um, and what I'm seeing here is, well, I put it as a question. It it seems, or is it, in the same realm as what the Nazis did, and what the Soviets did with their Gulag archipelagos, but actually worse i don't like comparisons i don't think that's fair for 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 the genocide survivors and the past and and the holocaust survivors in the past i'd say it is all genocide they're all inhumane brutal treatments and they're all authoritarian regimes trying to dictatorships trying to wipe away innocent people and I, I don't like comparing, but yes, what's happening now, it is extremely inhumane. And it reminds me of what happened in the past. Yeah. Can we go back to your father? Because something I didn't mention earlier was he's won the Sakharov Prize. Um, can you tell us what the Sakharov Prize is? Uh, yeah, just sort of elaborate on that. Um, the My father won the... 2019 Saharov Award um, by the European Parliament. It is one of the highest um, human rights awards in Europe, uh, right uh, after the Nobel Peace Prize. And um, it was in the full prize name is Freedom of Thought. And my father was locked up because of his free thinking, his free writing, and he his fight for having to to to, to have on people to be able to have the free thinking and free expression uh, for defending human rights, and it wasn't uh, named after the uh, Russian scientist and dissident. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it correct correctly, Andrei Sakharov. I hope I didn't butcher his name. That, if I that's, did, that's, that's very pretty sorry. Close. That's good. No, that's and good. yeah, it was established in 1988 by the European Parliament, and it was a huge honor for my family that my father received this award. And I really think he does deserve it. And I was hoping that this award could bring him freedom, or at least you know, some sort of comfort in the prison if he ever learns he did win it. Um, Many people fought really hard, um, you know, to, to, to get the EU to learn who my father is and what his work was really about. And my father was also nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize seven times. And he was finalisted, I think, two or three times. And um, he was nominated this year as well. Um, however, um, I really do hope he uh, eventually does win the Nobel Peace Prize, not because of the honor. I mean, yes, the honor would mm. be really meaningful, but also it's as a daughter, my little hope of that award could potentially bring him freedom. So like nowadays, I, he, my father had already won about 11 awards and awards, those awards mean not, it doesn't mean less, but it more, uh, it's, 
the honor does mean a lot, but it means more about how the weight of it, whether it can bring freedom or a little bit of comfort or a little bit of pressure to the Chinese women. That's what, what I'm craving for, not the honor of it, not the attention that comes with it, but the pressure that it will bring to the Chinese government. That's what I'm craving for. And that's why I hope my father would win, win an award every single year, a different award, so he can constantly remind the Chinese government he has not been forgotten by the crowds, by the international community, and he's still well-respected. And he's, it is still a huge mistake for the Chinese government to keep him in prison. And I really hope the Chinese government will realize it sooner or later that they need to release my father Ilham Tukti immediately. Yeah, it seems to me like he's a modern day Nelson Mandela. He was called that. Um, I, I remember when I first came here because I didn't speak English at all. And I had to look up what Mel Nelson Mandela, um, I had to read them in Chinese. I remember that was 10 years ago. Um, and it is a huge honor that people compare my father uh, you know, to Nelson Mandela. And I think their messages are very similar, you know, to bring peace, bring freedom to people, bring to really value the key, really valuing the human rights. And I, but as a daughter, my, I have just very little hope, which is to be reunited with my father when he is in healthy and safe condition. I don't need, I really don't wish for him to be wealthy, to be famous, to be recognized in, in any any huge awards, but with only little expectation is to have him be free because he is the most precious person in my life. Uh, I was raised by my father. My parents were divorced when I was, when I was very little and I was raised by my father. Um, he would braid my hair growing up. He would wash my clothes. He would cook for me random he would burn the kitchen and but still just try to make something delicious just to feed me and sometimes i wake up i was a footie just like my father and at 3 a.m i would be hungry and he would get up and make me food even though he has to go to work very early next day he would put me wrap me around his jacket when i was a baby just to bring me to his office and in 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 the university and i would scream and he would still be non-bothered and teaching and try to take care of me. So as a daughter, that's my little wish. And it is such a, even though it sounds like a little wish, but it is so hard to achieve. And I've been fighting for 10 years for that to happen. I don't know how many more years I will have to fight for that to happen, but I will continue. And I really hope I can have more and more people to join me on this fight to help me too. Re be reunited with my father again and I, I really wish I will be able to cook my father a meal because when we were separated I, I was a teenager and I didn't know how to cook I was just a dumb teenager and just take everything for granted take everything for granted and and he always complained oh, my daughter never wants to feed his old dad and and now I learned all the cooking skills and all his favorite dishes. And I just wish I'll be able to make him pilaf and larmen, which is Uyghur dishes, and his favorite dishes. And just to make him feel peace and at home and free and safe. 
Can you talk about the supply chain issues? So, you know, I've heard you in, in some of your talks basically saying that, you know, we're probably all wearing garments that have some relationship to the slavery that's going on in, in the Yuga region. Yes. Um, as mentioned earlier, 22% of the global cotton is produced in the Uber region and cotton industry is especially at higher risk of being tainted by oil forced labor because if you talk to any oilers, especially the older generations, you will know that their school trips were not going to some museums or some mountains or rivers just to see for scenery, seeing sceneries. No, their school trips were to pick cotton and if you don't meet quota, your parents will have to pay a fine for it. I considered that as forced labor. But people didn't know it was forced labor because all the weavers were asked to do it and they thought that was normality. And people didn't know. In their, in, in their China, people don't do that. When I was growing up in Beijing, I got sent to museums and visit Great Walls and those kind of sceneries because I was growing surrounded myself with all Han Chinese. I was the only Uyghur person in my classroom. And I was able to enjoy that privilege with them. But Uyghurs who grew up in the Uyghur homeland, no, they do not have that privilege. They don't get to go to normal school trips. You, every, uh, uh, during the summer, uh, during the cotton harvest season, people, young people, especially young people, um, not young people, people who are still available to work that age, it could be up to 40 to 50 years old, are gathered and are summoned, not gathered, are summoned to collect cotton, to pick cottons. And without meeting the quota, you will pay a fine for it. And still, now many oilers, not only picking cotton, they're learning for first to put in um, vocational training schools to learn how to mill, how to, how to make them into fabrics and how to put them into garments. And many women, they're learning how to ball these uh, into... Um, once it's made into sheets, how to fold them into sheets and they can put, uh, how to put them in the hotel rooms for tourist purpose and how to um, 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 make other types of garment from socks to, to mittens um, to hats. And I've, I've learned, uh, I've, I've met a uh, uh, camp survivor who was put in a factory to make uh, gloves, um, mittens. And she would work nonstop every day, and 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 she she would have quotas to meet uh, numbers to meet. Uh, she will have to make certain numbers. I will also interviewed people um, who had their relatives working in um, a factory that that uh, make um, uh, sports shoes, and we know that the sports industry um, it is also at high risk of tainted by oil force labor. And in fact, we have identified many brands' connection to Wheeler Force Labor, like Nike. Nike had a factory where they hired hundreds of Wheeler uh, workers through the labor transfer programs. And we also know many other brands were their link to Wheeler Force Labor uh, program, whether we're talking about uh, Hugo Boss, uh, Muji, or um, uh, Uniqlo. Um, Inditex, which is the Zara's um, parent company, um, it, uh, all these popular brands have been linked to Uber for Saber in different what, what, ways. What about what about Apple? Just interested. Do I in my iPhone? Do I have um, 
products from from forced labor? My area of work is focused mainly on garment industry, on the textile industry. So therefore, my research is, uh, I'm sure there are uh, researchers that that are working on this. And I know that electronics are at high risk of forced labor as well. Therefore, the U.S. government had impl- uh, had implemented several uh, w- withhold release orders uh, against several different products and companies. Sorry, what, what, what's that? Just explain Withhold what that release orders. It's a... It's a um, um, order by the customs where a certain uh, what it's basically like an import ban, but with whole release orders usually a specific, targeting specific product or specific companies. For example, there is a withhold release order against tomatoes from the Uyghur region, and also against um, uh, uh, a certain um, uh, solar companies and a certain seafood companies, and those. Certain companies, their products, no matter what, they will not be allowed entered into the border and such withhold... into the into the U.S. Yes, enter the U.S. And we none of the other countries that I know of. I think uh, I don't think any other countries have had similar or same level of robust implementation of such laws yet. And it is it's it's. it's it's extremely crucial to have such laws to be implemented and such um, implements. So, 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 so just to clarify, so the U.S. has now stringent laws to prevent um, forced la- labor goods coming into the U.S. Yes, and from this region specifically. From from yeah, from that region, and I I actually when in my research I saw that you have you met Donald Trump, President Trump. Um, yes. Did 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 what did, did did the Trump well what did the Trump administration do in regard to this issue? I mean the the law was passed during the Trump administration, which I was very thankful for. And was the, was, was that was that did they did the administration instigate that law or where did it come from? So there were. There, uh, there were many Uyghurs who were fighting really hard uh, to to push this push this bill to pass. There's this bill called Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, and it was um, it received unanimous support um, by both parties. And we know that usually both parties fight a lot on different right. issues. And and but on the Uyghur issue, um, there has been you know bipartisan support, which I'm very thankful for. And it was um, during the Trump administration that first passed the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act, which allowed, enabled the 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 U.S. Uh, to to have the responsibility to treat seriously the Uyghur issue, the Uyghur human rights issue, and then therefore later the um, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act passed, and it started being implemented last June, actually. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the passage of the implementation of this law, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. This law has a rebuttable presumption, which is unprecedented. Um, what, does that, what does that mean? Rebuttable presumption in this context means that, so you, you know, in many countries, when you when you are arresting someone or or you want to sentence someone, it's usually uh, proven. Uh, you don't get arrested or get detained until you're proven guilty. You're you're innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But this is reversed. Rebuttable presumption in this case is 
anything that is coming from the Uyghur region is going to be assumed as guilty unless you can yeah. prove you're innocent because of how severe the forced labor, because the forced labor issues, uh, forced labor practices is rampant in the Uyghur region. It is, and also uh, companies have no ways to do due diligence in their supply chain in the Uyghur region because auditing firms, the, when they send auditors, they get arrested even though they're foreign nationals. So if auditors cannot even guarantee their own safety, how do we how do we say that the certificates that they issued are are, are really trustworthy? And even and w when they say yes, workers have been working in a safe and fair condition, how would you, how do we even believe them when their only auditors are not safe anymore? Well, it it must it must be a lie. Yes, it, exactly. It's, it's, more, it's more probable that it's a lie. Yeah, there were also instances instances in the past where a a, a company that have received a, a certificate from auditors. And then soon after were exposed, they were using labor force labor or they were participating in labor transfer programs, forced labor transfer programs. And how do we even trust these certificates anyways? So any responsible companies should not be operating in the Uyghur region at all. At any level of their supply chain, they should be exiting the Uyghur region just to, if, they, if they're truly meaningfully wanting to stay away from state-imposed forced labor. Yeah. So the Biden ad administration is supportive as well? So the, I would the support's say so. continued? I, I would say so. Therefore, we are uh, having lots of support. Um, in uh, We see lots of support in, uh, you know, strong enforcement of this law at this Custom Border Protection with the Biden administration. We just learned that um, um, I think there are about 4,000, um, um, uh, what is it called in English? Oh, my God, it's escaping my head right now. Um, uh, um, seized. That's the word I was learning. Um, there were um, over four thousand shipments worth of one point four billion dollars. It was seized uh, since last year. It was detained since last year. So yes, it has been implemented. Um, however, it's not doesn't mean it's perfect um, because it, we were forced labor is still happening. Where people are still suffering. My father is still in prison. My cousin is still in prison. And um, um, relying on one country is not going to be enough because China is not only exporting to one country. It's exporting to hundreds of other countries. And and we need more and more countries to do similar, um, to, to implement, you know, similar, to pass and implement similar uh, um, um, legislations that really prevent forced labor made goods from entering their country because it's not only for the Uyghur people, it's for their own consumers too. Because I'm sure any aware and um, um, individuals would not be willingly, knowingly wanting to purchase goods that are made by by forced labor. And I, and I really do think that's the beauty of humanity too. Like if we know it, we wouldn't want to do it. And it's a matter of people not knowing, and therefore awareness raising is extremely crucial too. And then, if and companies should be should be more responsible. They should be held accountable if they knowingly still source from that region. They cannot claim they don't know anymore now because, well, my coalition, our coalition, and many many other groups, researchers have reached out to hundreds of hundreds of uh, companies. Let them know this is happening, and it's been on the news for 
four years now and if companies still claim that they didn't know and they stake still claim that they are for sure know that their items are not made by we will force labor then they're lying so I, I understand there's a website and even a, a, a Google Chrome plugin that um, helps determine, you know, whether whether your t-shirt is is a tainted t-shirt. So I'll, I'll, um, if you can send me those, I'll put those in the show notes. Yeah, and, um, people can look those up. Now, can you just finish the the conversation? Can you talk about freedom, freedom and freedom of speech? And also about the West and how the West is different from a country like China. The term freedom was very abstract to me until I came here to the U.S. Um, growing up, I didn't really learn this term at school. I wasn't taught that. What does that even mean, human rights? What does freedom even mean? Now, if you write human rights in in uh, um, uh, in China, this term is as is considered a sensitive word and is blurred, blocked. Just like the term Winnie the Pooh, because somebody compared Xi Jinping, the chairman of China, to Winnie the Pooh. It's so hilarious. Oh, my God, I can't. Uh, it's been years and I still laugh about it. Um, it's um, many terms are considered as sensitive, um, including human rights and um, um, I think for some uh, at some point, a four paper considered as a sensitive term, and there were also other I can't think of it at the top of my a, head. A four paper. Yeah, because there were, recently there were the a four paper movement where people raised paper to protest about um, freedom of expression because they they said I cannot write anymore, but I will use a piece of paper because it explains everything like that just, I want. They're holding a blank piece of paper up. Yes, and many people got arrested for that, put into prison. So a lot of people for are holding still... a for, for holding a blank piece of paper up. Yes, yes. And wow. um, I remember also, I don't, I, I can't confirm this uh, if it's true or not, but I remember seeing um, online that uh, they were pausing the production of a four paper. Were a four paper? <laughs> company themselves saying that they will not produce paper that day or something like that i can't i can't come from but it was hilarious for me um it was ridiculous because they were afraid of being uh, having backlash from the government i i think it was initiated by the a4 paper company and in 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 china i remember seeing that circulated however i don't know if it was true if it was um it was a joke or if it was real but if it was real it would be too it would be too ridiculous um but yeah, human rights was a very abstract thing to me. I I think in China, human rights means just the freedom to live. Anything else is just extract, uh, extra, cherry on top. It's not fundamental rights. Freedom to birth your own child, extra. You need to... You, you, not anyone can get it. Um, freedom to meet your parents, freedom to visit your detained family members, freedom to call your family members that are that are in China while you're overseas, freedom to hold a passport, freedom to travel overseas, freedom to stay in a hotel in a city that you don't live in, freedom. To choose to eat halal food 
freedom to fast during the holy month of Ramadan while you're a Muslim, freedom to not drink alcohol, freedom to not eat pork, freedom to wear a headscarf, freedom to wear a long dress, long skirt, freedom to have a beard, freedom to adopt other people's children in your household while taking care of other people's household, freedom to gather for more than six people in your own house for whatever reasons, celebration or whatever. So, so just on that, are you only, a week is only allowed a, a maximum of six people in a household. Now, now you cannot. So, have so you can't have a you can't have a birthday people, party. You have to you have to report to the local police. Right. So if you're having a wedding or a, a, a wedding, birthday party, wedding or, is okay. Wedding is okay if you are in a restaurant open space, but if you are in your own home, you have to report. Wow. You have to so, scan your facial thing or your certain identification card to be able to even admit it to your own household. Say that again. You, you have, to, have to have a scan, either your face yeah. at the gate of your building or a specific identification card to be able to admit be admitted to your own home. That's like why if your you... Your actual own, own house. Like yes. If you own the house, yes. you have to have to scan your face to get into it. Yep. And all the household in all all the buildings are like that. They are gated. You can't just get into other people's community because it's not going to scan you in. They say it's for safety purpose. Yeah, well, every everything's for safety purposes, purposes these days. And for poverty uh, alleviation too, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The George, George Orwell writ, writ large. So, so okay, t tell us about Talk more, more about freedom, because now you're in the West. Why are you in the West? Why are you in the United States? I was thrown into this country by accident. I didn't plan to stay here for this long um, or stay at all. My father was um, invited by Indiana University to teach as a visiting scholar for a two years program. And I was supposed to be staying for two weeks um, on a family visit, a family member visit uh, visa, just to see how America is like and help my father settle down and I would go back to school. I only packed for two weeks. But my father was arrested at the airport and because I was a teenager, I appeared to have no threat and I was a girl. You remember? And in China, if you're a girl, you're not as powerful and you're not as important. So, but I guess that saved me, that concept. And they allowed me to leave. And my father insisted that I should leave, even though at the airport I, 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 I really tried really hard to stay. And I said I, I refused to leave because for me, I didn't understand the point of leaving the country without my father, without speaking the language, without knowing anyone in the U.S. It just didn't make sense to me because my only purpose to go to the U.S. was for my dad, with my dad. And that was it. Um... But my father had a vision. He knew that could be the last chance for me to enjoy, to have a first breath of freedom. And he was right. And um, I'm the only person in my family member in my family that is considered really safe and free now. I've been in the U.S. for past 10 years and four months and 20 days. 
without them, without my families, um, alone. Um, I can't even communicate with my little brothers, my stepmom, or my dad freely. Haven't heard from them since 2017. And, um, Just like many, many other people, just like yeah, you, all of your us. Sto your story is is not unique. Yep, it's not. I it was unique in the beginning because he was one of the very first people that were targeted. But it's no longer unique now because and, all and of us not, are targeted. Yeah. And he's not the only intellectual to be in prison. Yes, he was not the only intellectual that was in prison. I have so many other friends now. Or about my age, or who just came here for school and for being here, their parents were in trouble because you have a family members overseas, and that's considered a suspicious activity. And I know folks who whose parents sent the money to help them to purchase a house or for their wedding, and their parents were put in prison because of that, because that's considered as supporting in, uh, international overseas extremist movements, even though you're just buying your kids a home or supporting them for their weddings. And, and if I'm correct, not, not just put in prison, but both the mother and father were sentenced to 20 years in prison. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So 20 years for sending their daughter some yes. cash to buy, buy a house in Australia. Yep. Yep. And, and it's, it's, it's so common for, and I know that there's this oil activist her sister, her retired medical doctor's sister, was put in prison tw for 20 years because her sister is an activist here. So many, so many Uyghurs, so many cases. It can be any excuse, any reasons. That's why it's so common for Uyghurs to have lost complete communication with their family because it's either cut by the Chinese government or it's cut because protect for protecting their safety, for their family, their loved one's safety. Yeah. So... You, I mean, although it must be incredibly difficult because you are cut off from your family, but you must really appreciate more than more than the rest of us the value of freedom. Yes, I sure do. Uh, even though I wouldn't say I'm completely free, at least I'm not free from some things. Um, I'm not free from surveillance. Um, when I was in Indiana, I was approached by... Um, people who were trained by the, or were sent uh, by the Chinese government who were undercover students and approached me, who confessed to me that they were sent by the Chinese government and that I should be careful speaking to them because he thought that I was such a nice person and that the person, uh, he didn't want to report on me and feel guilty about it. So I appreciate it, but I didn't appreciate that Chinese government for sending undercover students to, to, to monitor me and other Uyghur people, and and my 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 laptops uh, constantly. Even when I on a very rare relaxing day when I'm watching Netflix, whoever was behind on the other side would constantly mess with me by pausing my laptop and moving my mouse, so I would not finish the funny episode, and I would not have a relaxing day. <laughs> <laughs> and especially it's guest star pause in the best part. <laughs> so, so just let me finish this episode. 
I haven't finished it for haven't gotten a chance to watch it for a long time. But yeah, it's uh, I haven't been free from surveillance, and um, but that's a uh, that's a uh, thing that I have. To, I guess I have to sacrifice for if I want to support my family, if I want to support my people, if I want to raise awareness. I guess I will have to compromise something, and if they want to. I have come to the point that it doesn't even bother me anymore. It's just funny to me because <laughs> it's been ten years. I just um, I would randomly sound like a crazy person talk to the camera. But hi, you're there again. You having a yeah. good day? Did you eat <laughs> breakfast? Because it'll be my evening and talk yeah. to them, uh, even though nobody's gonna respond. Obviously, but yeah. it could be nobody's out on the other side. But sometimes I'm just great, and so I don't have wrong intention. Just don't waste your time on me. I have nothing to hide. Anything I'm doing, you're going to read it on the news very soon because I'm not going to do anything discreet. Everything is, yeah. feel free to have access to my phone. Just don't bother people around me. I I was invited to speak at the UN last year. It was a summer. I, I can't remember. Um, or September. Um, 30 minutes before my speech at the UN, my fiancé received a phone call from China asking if he knew Jory Yuehamu, my Chinese name. He didn't speak Chinese, but he recognized my name and he hung up and his he would constantly get calls in Ch- in Chinese from China. My friends constantly get calls. And I, re- I I believe this is a message. And I that's the only thing that bothers me now. Just just leave my friends alone. Call me if you're really bored. Just message me if you're really bored. Monitor my phone if you're really bored. Just leave my friends and family alone. Yeah, well, it, it's unbelievably disturbing that they can do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they're violating and their rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the you know the long reach of the CCP. Okay, well, um, thank you so much, and thank you on behalf of humanity for all your work. It's it's incredibly important, and um, it is a great honour to talk to you. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And whoever is listening and watching this, I really hope this is your opportunity. This is a uh, opportunity for you to have a wake up call. Um, not, not uh, well. If if you can start raising awareness for the Uyghurs, that's even better. Yes, great. But one thing, a uh, one little request from me is to. Pick up your phone, call your families, call your loved ones, because you never know what happens tomorrow, what happens this afternoon, what happens this evening. We all didn't know that the the last phone call that we had with our loved ones were the last phone call. And don't ever let go of your rights. Cherish what you have. Cherish your loved ones. And take advantage of your rights, especially your freedom of expression, because not many of us have that. Well, thank you very much. So beautifully put. Thank you.